Hello, welcome to Hope Church Harrogate's Message of the Week. If you'd like to connect with us, please head over to hopeharrogate.co.uk forward slash connect. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, hello, everybody. Uh, my name is Rachel Turner. I get to share today uh, because I am me and I am not beautifully techie. I don't have a PowerPoint. So I suggest that you go grab a Bible if you want to follow along. Uh, grab a Bible. I'm going to tell you a quick story uh, it, just to give you time to do that, because I always like sharing a story of my life. And I feel like this is a particularly special one. Uh, so this week, as you find your Bible, uh, this week I had some posts to do. Uh, I had two letters and I was going to go and it was a beautiful sunny day. You know, we had one of those sunny days. So I took my two letters and I was going to walk to my post box. <laughs> walk into sunshine, beautiful, the breeze. I'm like, oh, I love Harrogate. The stray is amazing. And I walk all the way down to the post box. And I had been wrestling with mental health for a while. You know, we've been in lockdown. And this was like, ah, hope this week. And so I take my thing to the post box and I look at the post box. You know, when things just feel a bit weird, but you're like, maybe it's because I haven't posted something a long time. So I took it and I put my thing through the letterbox really slowly and carefully, two-handed, because, you know, I don't want it to get stuck anywhere. So I put it through and I make this in real life. I make noises. So I put it through the post box and went, boop. I was like, yeah, I booped it in. And then I like dug around in my bag, got the second one out, <clears throat> got it ready. Boop. And I was like, yeah, I was successful. You know, when you just do a small task and you're like, nailed it. And uh, I looked over and looked over and thought, do I need to go to Wheaton's and get a sausage roll? And I looked to the left and there was another post box. I was like, what? To each other. And I looked at this one and I'm looking at it. I'm looking at it. And this one says litter on the side of it. And, and somehow my brain saw a slot in a box. And I stood there and very slowly posted two letters into the bin, just really slowly with noises. And the other one, now there is a bench of people behind me drinking tea and having a great time and, and watching me do this. And now I'm stuck. What do I do? I have two handwritten letters to people. It's in a bin. It's coronavirus. I don't know what to do. So I do the only thing you can do, which is to put your arm in all the way up until the bin pushes against your face. And I refuse to go back in one out and sort of dust them off, take two steps to the left and post them properly. And then look at everyone who's sitting on the bench and be like, morning. And then <laughs> morning. If you also are reaching an age like me, <clears throat> uh, there's no shame in Christ. That was it. Uh, right. Everyone have a Bible? Good. Excellent. As with most of my stories, it had nothing to do with anything, but, you know, just be released. Uh, right, so we are in James, and we are now to uh, to chapter three, and so therefore we're in the middle of this letter. And like all all trilogies and things, there's always this middle bit that um, feels like it's sort of there. It's important. It's very important to the story, but it's sort of hanging in the middle there, and uh, it can either be glossed over, it can be reduced, and uh, and so I just want to give us some context before we jump into this. We are reading in James three one to twelve. And uh, James has been talking, as we've been going over the past weeks with many amazing preachers, James has been talking about how our faith and our lives are tied together, that our faith isn't a cultural thing. It's not separate from our life. What we know changes everything and needs to change everything in our life. So he starts off in chapter one 
I always like flipping through. So if you want to flip through because you have your Bibles, feel free. Uh, in chapter one, he flips through and he starts off talking about the difficult seasons that we come in and how those difficult seasons that were in shape us and shape our faith and our strength and our faith is tied into these, these difficult times where, where we become discipled in it. We find God in it. We live out our faith in these difficult times and nothing is wasted in that. He, he moves on to... Um, how we live in the world has to be lived out and and what we hear or else what we hear is wasted. If we don't live through these trials and tribulations and and be shaped by God and bring what we know of God to it, then then it's it's not there. And and then it moves us next and said, gosh, if you just know this in your head, but don't live it, let it impact you, let it change you, then it's it's nothing. It's wasted. And it has to be be transforming for us. And so then he takes us to Abraham and, and Rahab and says, look, this is what this is what the action of faith looks like. This is what the fruit of faith looks like, is this. And then we come to chapter three. And and he's been talking big concepts and important studies. He's been talking mercy and he's been talking tribulation. He's been talking a, a faith and action. And then he comes to it and he goes, all right, folks, where does the rubber hit the road in this faith and action tie-in? Where does it really come into being? And he says, all right, the gold standard is this. Words, brace yourself. Let's read from chapter three. He says, not many of you should presume to be teachers, my brothers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. I love that little caveat, just, just everyone knows. We all stumble in many ways. If anyone is never at fault in what he says, he's a perfect man, able to keep his whole body in check. When we put bit into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder, wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue is also a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole person, sets the whole course of his life on fire fire and is itself set on fire by hell. I mean, he gets, he gets, he's, he's, he's making his case like, whoo, preach James. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and creatures of the sea are being tamed and have been tamed by man, but no man can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse men who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing, my brothers. This should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? No, the answer. My brothers, can a fig tree bear olives? Gross. Or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. I love James. He's so dramatic. Like he's going to make his case and he's not going to make his case with one analogy. <laughs> no, he's going to give you eight analogies. Take that people. I mean what I say. I love it. It makes me so happy. And, and for me, 
I was super nervous when I got given this because normally when you preach, primarily because of this verse, there's a lot of warnings and scriptures about like, you know, when you teach, you know, it's really important that you speak well. And uh, so uh, I didn't say olives are gross. No, I just want to clarify that. I'm saying fig and olives are gross. Just clarification for everybody there who was judging me. But I find it really hard as, as, a, as an imperfect person who is not fully in charge of my mouth to then preach about being in charge of your mouth. So I just want to just highlight here as all look at, chapter, at verse two that says we all stumble in many ways. I'm just saying I'm not perfect at this, but the Bible says it so I can preach it, not because I'm great at it, but because scripture says it. Uh, so I just want to point out if anyone is never at fault in what he says, he's a perfect man able to keep his whole body in check. <laughs> that is not me yet. Um, but we do have some people in their 90s in our church, and I'm guessing they're getting pretty close. So I'm just saying, uh, it is a lifetime journey of this thing. And I think sometimes this passage gets reduced to something we roll our eyes at, to a, oh, Jesus says we have to say nice things, Pick, move past it. Or, uh, oh, okay, don't swear, great. And we reduce it to a, a cheap behavior cliche. But I think actually there is a deep heart of discipleship within this, a deep power of truth in this that I want to explore with you today. Because if if faith in blossom, and we have all these little flowers that are coming up on the stray, and, and this these blossoms, if faith in blossom is action, Jesus here in, in this passage is saying that an alive understanding of God's love, a full response of understanding the sacrifice of Christ and how loved we are and how free from the chains of sin we are and the fruit of all of what he has done for us, the, the fullness of fruit that comes out of all he has done for us is in our mouth. And I find that really challenging <laughs> because is the fullness of my understanding of Christ's love for me and sacrifice present in how I speak? And I would say I'm still working on that. Because when we say yes to God, he begins a work in us that he says he will finish. He begins a transformation in us that preserves the beauty of who he made us to be but shapes our understanding of God, our ability to be loved, our ability to follow him and listen to him and live in the fullness of life in Christ. He begins that transformation in us and he takes us on that journey. And that will include how, how our understanding of him comes out of our mouth. Words mattered to Jesus. I find it so interesting that words are really, really, really important to God. This isn't just a random, oh, and by the way, say nice things. Words are important to God. God spoke into existence, the world. He didn't just think it. It says in scripture that he spoke, let there be light, and light came. His voice was so important to him. The prophets carried his words of love, the words of truth, his words of courage, his words of guidance and challenge. All throughout the Old Testament, we see the voice of God being this powerful thing, his voice, his words. Jesus, one of his other names is the word. Jesus himself is the word. 
Jesus spoke kindness and grace and hope and challenge to manipulators and justice to the oppressors and love and welcome and peace to those who are broken. And we chew over the red. I mean, Bibles even made his Jesus's words red so that we could focus on his words. Like it, what it is in the beginning was the word. So much is about the word. His words show us the heart of God. And we dismiss this passage as saying, oh, it just means say nice things, you know, and then we can go back to surfingsofa.com. It, it, it isn't this little command to do something. It is an understanding that we are called to be transformed by our faith, to be like Christ. And that fruit of that faith is action. Our words are to be transformed. Because they are a powerful part of how we are transformed and how he reveals himself to others. Language, language shapes how we perceive the world. It shapes how we could perceive everything around us. And I find this interesting. So I, I have a history of anthropology and uh, my anthropology background uh, talks about language. I love the cognitive anthropology, how people think about things. And uh, at different places around the world have different categories of color. There are some places that only have three colors in their language. They usually start, and amazingly, they almost always start with the same three words, uh, which is red, black, and white. And uh, it's it's really interesting, but they, they see, their eyeballs see the full spectrum of color, but they categorize it differently. Their language shapes how they perceive and engage with the whole experience of their world. It shapes how they, what they look, what they look for, how they tune themselves to it. Um, James comes in, gives us all of these examples of how the language shapes our entire body. This bit of the horse, how you, I've, I've ridden a horse once and I fell off. So I'm not a horse expert, but I've seen a lot on television programs and they always have this thing. You put it in the mouth and you turn it slightly to the side and the entire body of the horse turns. These ships have this tiny rudder and yet it turns the entire ship. The best example I have in my life is my steering wheel. I can move multi-tons of metal with my little arms by turning it just a little bit and the entire thing turns. There is something about how we work as human beings that we have been created that what we speak shapes how we think. What we speak shapes how we look, how we interact, how we go. I want to be so transformed by the words of God that my entire body follows the words that come out of my mouth because they're so aligned with God. But I also want to, people to know, other people, that this kind, graceful, hopeful, bold God who soothes and calls and encourages and releases that, that my words can reveal God to people in my life. We all have had people who've spoken positively or negatively, and those words have stuck with us. I can still remember a negative thing someone told me 30 years ago, and that sticks in there. It almost shapes how I view myself and how I view others. But I also can remember an encouragement that one person told me when I was 18 that stuck with me, that just was so the truth of God that impressed itself upon my heart. I can remember a time where I spoke harshly and someone gave me a gracious response and it absolutely swept away the anger. I can remember a time where I needed truth and someone just spoke this half a sentence of truth that just shattered all the lies that I have been clinging to. I have been given kindness where I didn't deserve any and it broke me. 
we want people in our lives, the delivery people and our nurses and the people who care for us and our children and our spouses and our friendships and the shop people and those that we encounter on the street to encounter the voice of the living God when we speak. And if I'm going to really do that, I've got to figure out how, <laughs> because, because this is powerful. This is powerful stuff. I want people who've never encountered God to feel his words through my voice, through the words of a transformed heart. I remember that there was this uh, youth that I was working with. We were, uh, I was a youth pastor and there's some of our youth and some of them found God for the first time and, and made, you know, changed their lives and came to God and, and said, I want to be with him forever. And their family came to us and said, um, excuse me, what have you done to my kid? And we were like, I'm so, I'm so sorry. Like I instantly apologize. I don't know. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. And, uh, and they, I said, why, what's going on? And they're like, normally they swear. Normally they're, they're saying horrible things to their siblings. Normally they're, they're degrading me and telling me stuff. And in the past, like three weeks, my kids have said kind things. I've caught them reading to their sibling. I haven't heard any swear words come out of their mouth. What have you done to my kid? And I'm like, they met Jesus. <laughs> and and something internally began to transform in them. And this fruit began to transform their mouth from, from encountering God through the words and scripture and our things. This internal transformation began to transform what came out of his mouth, which then brought his entire family to church and brought his entire family to Christ because of the words of a transformed heart. And I think there's something really powerful that we can grab onto here in this. So I just want to explain, how can we do this? How can we grasp onto this experience? Uh, I think one thing I love about this is it says, on your own, it's absolutely impossible. <laughs> and I love that sort of affirmation of scripture that me finding it hard makes sense because <laughs> I can't will myself into it. I cannot on my own, control myself enough to catch everything that comes out of my mouth. Without, without him, it is absolutely impossible. The way he talks about the tongue in here just cracks me up. It's a small part of a body, but it can set your whole, sets the whole course of your life on fire. I don't know about you, but I have made some epic mistakes of things that I've said that felt like it set my whole life on fire. And it can feel like it's this out of control thing that we cannot grasp. And I think that we see throughout scripture ways of, of letting this transformed life blossom because it isn't a set of just going, well, God's going to transform me to be more like him. So I just need to twiddle my thumbs and let it happen. Thank you, Jesus. Because that isn't necessarily how transformation works. For me, there is something about roots and shoots. When he's talking at the end of this passage, this, this passage about saying, can fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? Can a fig tree bear olives? Can a grapevine bear figs? There's this sense of what is our roots? What transformation are our roots going on? So often I try to just catch my words before they fly out of my mouth. But I think there's a stage in here that, that, that James is calling us to. Um, I used to have, what, when my husband and I um, got married, we bought a, we bought a plant that we were going to grow for our entire lives and then plant on our graves as a testimony of our love. And uh, we killed it within like three months. And, and we, <laughs> we've learned, I can't even keep a succulent alive. And it was this plant. And we kept, we kept, we kept 
trying to take care of it. And at some point, it was supposed to be this desert plant, but it's 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 uh, not stem. What's it called? It's like a trunk. It's full trunk. We got squishy, and we couldn't figure out what it was. And one day we came in. We called them Georgia Malachi because they were together. Georgia Malachi. I don't know why. Uh, had fallen over, and we found that their roots had completely rotted, and somehow we had been we had been overwatering this sucker. And the roots had completely rotted. And we were trying to take care of all the leaves and, you know, dust them off and mist them and things. And actually, no matter how much care we tried to take with the rest of it, its roots had gone rotten. And I think there's something about this internal transformation of Christ that calls us to check our heart before we speak rather than check our mouth first. Uh, Luke, uh, Jesus was speaking in Luke 6, 45 and says, out of the heart, the mouth speaks. And there are times where we are about to speak, where actually I feel bitter, I feel humiliated, I feel judgmental, I feel fearful, I feel shamed. And out of that, I speak. And what comes out of my mouth isn't great. And I end up kicking myself for what I said, rather than taking back and saying, God, what was going on in my heart? God, transform my heart. And so I begin to wrestle with my heart garden, I call it. What am I letting grow? What am I, when I come into this room, am I fearing fear, fearful and why? And begin, before I begin to have meetings, before I begin to discipline my kid, before I begin to challenge uh, a colleague or something, I have to go into a bath, it's usually my bathroom. And I just go, God, what is going on in my heart? Am I filled with your love? Am I filled with your peace? Am I filled with your truth and your rightness? This idea of, of getting my heart positioned to speak. Am I righteous, but not self-justified? Am I delighting in about what I'm going to say? Is this going to feel good to smack this person down? Or actually, am I going to speak with grace? And why do I want this God? And this sense of take, going to God and saying, search my heart before I speak um, can be so powerful. So check the root I find so useful in this, that I take it to God and I say, God, transform me in this moment to speak out of you. And the second thing is um, is the shoot of, of what what is coming out of it. Because Finding how to control our mouth is a fruit. It's an outworking of our faith. And it can feel like this weird fruit, this, this watermelon of mystery that is, is just existing. And we're trying to figure out how it, how it works. And we can become so aware of what comes out. And in John 15, Jesus is speaking about pruning and this active cutting, this, this, this wanting to be so fruitful that we cut off that which is not fruitful in us. And so the question becomes, what words do I proactively allow myself to speak that I know shapes who I am? When I worry out loud endlessly and I let my voice become, God will fail me, this won't happen, I'm afraid of this happen. Do I speak so much that it turns my entire body and heart away from God? So when I'm processing, am I thinking this person is, when am I speaking out? This person is an idiot and I hate it. And eventually I come to the fact that Jesus loves them. Or am I speaking, I am feeling really hurt by this person. And am I careful with how I speak, even in the midst of my grief and my anger and my pain, because I know that it will shift me away from who God has called me to be. And I find it so powerful that I let God be the coach. Before I speak, I tend to ask myself, God, what part of God as people, what part of God do I need to remind myself of as I talk to myself, as I speak out loud to my family, as I process when I'm hangry, when I'm full of love, but also God, I ask him, please coach my voice because what part of God will people encounter when I talk, when I'm full of love, but when I'm hangry, when I'm worried, when I'm, 
when I think they've messed up, when they don't know the pain that they've caused, when they are afraid or when I am afraid, I don't want to speak out of anything else besides the coaching of the Holy Spirit who promises to guide us and to give us truth and to counsel us and to shape us. And so before before we speak to say, what is in my heart, but also God, shape my words, coach me, what part of you do they need to encounter right now? And then I can speak grace and kindness and empowering and shame because every opportunity I have to speak is an opportunity for people to encounter the God of words, the God of voice, the God of truth. And the last thing I just wanted to say here is that if you're like me, as soon as I say something I don't want, not as soon as, sometimes it feels good. And then later I feel ashamed by it. But at some point, the Holy Spirit convicts me. And there's this moment where I just feel overwhelmed with shame that I can't do it, that I can't manage to just stay on top of my mouth, that I said this again, that I made this thing, that I set the sucker on fire, that I, and I just find this so compassionate, James, so compassionate in this that says, he says, it's hard. It is uncontrollable. It's untamable. And, and it is still a powerful and important thing to do. There's no expectation that we're perfect. There's the expectation that the fruit of us coming close to God produces this fruit. And sometimes it takes a while for a grapevine to produce really good grapes. It takes years and years and years and years and years to get there. And, and to be gracious with myself that I am being transformed and that every day I want people to encounter God more through my words, but that I will not be ashamed of being imperfect. And I won't be ashamed of being in the middle because I am not finished yet. I am still being transformed. And for every time I speak his words, he will be fruitful. And every time I, I hold my heart to God and say, search me, he will bring forth the fruit that I need because I want to be like him. And I want his words to, to shape how I think and I see and I move and I want everyone else in my relationships to flourish as if Jesus was in them. You know, I feel bad sometimes when my husband or kid has to process something with me because I'm like, oh, I wish you had Jesus right here to really, you know, he'll, he'll be, he'd be great at this conversation. But actually that, that I can pull God as close as possible to try to, to speak his words so that every person who encounters me encounters the words and the presence and the grace and kindness of God. So, um, let God speak into your roots. Let God help you prune your shoots and walk with no shame in this beautiful journey of enabling the God of a voice to speak to a community. So in a second, um, I just want to pray for us and, uh, and just position us. So uh, to just position us for this. This stuff is so important and so beautiful and valuable. So let's just pray. God, we are not yet that perfect person who can control their entire body and will and everything. We are not those people, God. But God, we want to be like you. I want my mind to be like your mind. I want to live in the full freedom and knowledge of your love and grace and kindness. I want my heart to be shaped by your hope and your grace and your strength in your boldness. God, teach us, teach us how to speak to ourselves and teach us how to process with your words in our mind and our hearts. Let our knowledge of you, our faith, our experience, our encounter, our truth of you flourish in us 
and come out in our words that we may follow you with our mind and our hearts. God, I pray that you would search our hearts now. I thank you, Holy Spirit, that you convict sin. And that isn't a negative thing. That is a beautiful thing that spots what separates us from you. So God, I pray that you would search our hearts and that you would just draw out so gently those things which poison our, our voice or rob us of your truth and show it to us, God, now. It may be phrases that have been placed in there a long time ago. It may be things that we end up saying to ourselves. It may be a way, a habit of how we encounter others. But God, I pray that you just pull that out now and show it to us. And we say, God, take that away from us. We reject those words. God, I pray that you give us replacement ones. Give us phrases to hold close to our hearts. Give us words to write on our foreheads of our brains. Give us truth that we may speak and walk alongside us. That as we encounter those who need you, God, who need your truth, who need your voice, who need your sword of the spirit that cuts off lies from people, God, I pray that you would coach us, that you would be so close to us, that as we walk through our days, we speak your life-changing truth to others that we may give people grace when they aren't expecting it, that they may encounter kindness they've never known, that they may find peace where they are so wrestling. I thank you that you enable us to pull close to your heart, that an outworking of what you're doing in us may be partnering with your voice and your words for others. Shape us that we may do that. And I pray you would sweep away all shame off our shoulders and our hearts, that anything that we have said in the past and have done that you would lift us from the shame. Teach us how to fix the messes we've made, God. But I would pray that you would sweep all shame away, that we may contentedly be imperfect people on a journey with you. I thank you that you don't give up on us and that you are faithful to finish what you have begun. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.